attention, attention all personnel. It's MASHCAST. Hello and welcome to MASHCAST, the show that analyzes and celebrates, episode by episode, the greatest TV series of all time, MASH, which aired on CBS from 1972 to 1983. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Corporal Captain Rob Kelly. And joining us this week in the VIP tent is the MASH fan known on Twitter simply as Captain Universe. Hello, Captain. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for joining me here. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm very excited. A long while ago, you reached out to me and said you were interested in being on the show. And I like to vary it up every season, have different different voices on the show and talk about the people from different perspectives about why they love this show. So I was uh, very excited to get a chance to talk to you. It's been a while. You and I sort of talked about this like the, in the middle of last year practically but now it's finally here and so i i'm just guessing i i think you are probably one of the youngest guests i've had on the show to this point so i am really fascinated of like to ask you how you became a fan of this show and like how it resonates to you as someone who didn't you know grow up with it airing you know at the time yeah so um i've been watching it probably since i was I mean, it's probably been on the background since I was two years old, but my earliest <laughs> memory is like of watching MASH with my dad. You know, we just, we watched it every morning before I would go to school because we like to make a habit of watching something funny before having to go off to work and go to school to kind of like <laughs> get off a good start to the day. That's and there was habit. no better way than watching Alan Alda be Alan Alda. It was just, it was a really great way to grow up. There's always been really good lessons in the show and it really helped form me as a person. So was it just that it was funny and it was the irreverent? Is that what appealed to you as a kid? Because I'm trying to imagine as a small child, like, are you getting the references? Because, of course, it's it's set – I mean, not only is the show itself many decades old by the time you're seeing it, but then it's set even 20 years before that. So my dad would take a lot of teachable moments to explain the different pop culture references and to kind of explain, like, the actual climate, what was going on. You know, in the beginning, it was a lot more about, like, the sight gags and seeing them walk around in monkey suits and all the different fun, <laughs> silly things. But as I got older, it came to be like, so do you know why this is so poignant and what, what it really means? And it, and it, at that point, like probably when I was closer to like 10, maybe my teen years, it was, it was more like about like the actual messages instead of just the gags and the jokes. So it, it's really, it's been a, a teacher and a friend for a long time. That's really marvelous. That's wonderful of your dad to kind of take that time and, and almost like annotate the show for you. That's, I would have loved to have something like that because there was all sorts of references that went by me the first hundred times I watched the episodes and only as I got older, I'm like, oh, that's what that is. Or that, that's really marvelous for your father to do that for you. Yeah, I was really lucky. It really it shaped me as a person. You know, I'm trying to get into comedy now and I, I don't think I would want that had I not watched the show my whole life. Wow. Do you have a particular favorite era of the show? I mean, I may be thinking it's going to be season three because we, we're doing this here, but is there an, an era that you kind of liked more than others growing up? So I definitely like season three through five. Um, mm -hmm. At first, growing up, I was really brokenhearted when um, it switched over to BJ, but then he becomes such a comforting um, fatherly figure on the show that um, I, I transitioned pretty easily into him being one of my favorites. Okay, yeah, me too. Me too. That's, uh, that's, that's marvelous. That's really great. That's, uh, did your dad, I'm sorry, I mean, did your dad have military service? Was this something that he was directly experienced, had experience in? Um, no, so the show came out about the time he was in college. 
college. So it was just something he really enjoyed. And then on my end, my brother was in the military when I was growing up. And then my grandfather and a lot of other family members as well. So we had a lot of military going on, but my dad himself was never directly involved. Um, But it did help me kind of understand a little bit better, like what my brother was going through and his circumstances and how my grandfather had lived before I knew him. Wow, that's really fantastic. It makes me kind of think of like what a great fun thing would be to do like a pop-up video of MASH, like when they do an episode and have little facts come up, they reference, oh, that, oh that's who so they're fun. talking about. You know, they're talking about this person, Aaron Burr, that's who this was. I mean, all these historical, that's that's marvelous. That's just, that's a great story. I love, love hearing that. So, well, very cool. That's, uh, that's, that's very, very exciting. So the episode we're here to talk about, of course, is from season three. It's episode three, Officer of the Day. The original air date was September 24th, 1974. It was written by Lawrence Marks and Larry Gelbart, directed by High Averback. Uh, with Henry away in Tokyo, Frank is in charge. During morning formation, he assigns Hawkeye to be officer of the day, but is angered when Hawkeye isn't there to receive the assignment. He wakes Hawkeye up from a deep sleep to give him the OR armband, logbook, plus belt, and sidearm. Hawkeye flatly and imaginally refuses to carry a gun. After dealing with minor annoyances like inspecting the guards, uh, setting up a uh, password for the day, keeping Klinger from going AWOL, finding Radar's stolen teddy bear, filched by two young sons of Trapper's Taylor, he has to deal with the visiting Colonel Flagg, who arrives in camp with a wounded prisoner. Flagg admits shooting the prisoner while he was trying to get away, and he wants the 477 doctors to patch him up. Hawkeye and Trapper agree, but are horrified to find out that Flagg once intended to so he can execute him over the weekend. Hawkeye and Trapper then stall as long as possible, trying to keep Flagg from taking the prisoner. Frank orders them to sign the patient's release, but they flat out refuse. Flank then finally gets so sick of this, he threatens Hawkeye by cocking his gun and hinting strongly that Hawkeye should sign. He does, disgustedly. Later that night, Flagg watches them load a stretcher into his ambulance and reminds Hawkeye and Trapper not to take him on again. But just before the ambulance doors close, we see that the prisoner is really Klinger, who wants a trip to Seoul. The ambulance drives off with Hawkeye and Trapper with a sly grin on their faces. The next day, Hawkeye and Trapper, Hawkeye recites a report to Radar about the events of the day. Trapper steps in, showing off his new suit. It's a beautiful pinstripe suit. Unfortunately, the stripes are going in the wrong direction. (laughs) So, okay, uh, officer of the day. I mean, there's a lot to unpack with this episode, but I want to ask you, like, why did you want to talk about this one in particular? I really think that this episode in particular is, it's a very good example of the show overall. It would be a good one to show to anybody who had never seen it before because you get a lot of the the really funny witty jokes and and the lines are just so good but it has an important message so it really it, to me it has a perfect package of what to expect when watching this show uh, yeah i would agree with that i would that is a that's a really great way of putting it this would be a great primer episode uh, aside from Henry not being in it, which I have to think, I have no idea, this is just a guess, but I'm guessing we already know that by this point, McLean Stevenson was relatively unhappy during his time at MASH. Yes. And I have to wonder whether this was uh, McLean Stevenson just saying, look, give me a week off every so often, or this was the show 
uh, tentatively trying to say, well, can we do the show without Henry Blake? So let's just write him off and see if we can do a plot without him. And of course, you know, they just say, well, he's in Tokyo, which is an easy explanation. Um, but yeah, aside from Henry not being in it, this would be a really great primer. One of the things I love about this episode, and I think I might have even said this in the previous week with the Rainbow Bridge show, was that I love episodes of MASH that deal with a plot that can only happen in a show with this setting. Yes. Uh, and this this is one of those things, because where what other show really could you do where you have a character say, I want my main characters to patch up this guy so I can then shoot him. And I mean, what an incredible moral dilemma you've put the characters in. And there's really, can you think of another sitcom where you could even have that storyline? Not a single one. No, not one. <laughs> right. And on top of it, uh, on, top of this, on top of this very, very serious plot, you have one of the great uh, sight gags. Well, first of all, this uh, this episode opens with a very silly sight gag where they're doing morning formation and uh, Frank orders Igor to fire the ceremonial salute and Igor tries to talk him out of it because he says the angle and Frank says go ahead and of course he knocks Radar's trumpet out of his hand and it's very Abbott and Costello, very Three Stooges. I mean you've got Gary Berghoff going like – like it's, it's as cartoony as it can be. It's really not setting you up for the heaviness that you're about to get with this plot and then it ends and we'll get to it. Well, we already mentioned it in the plot synopsis, but we'll get to it at the end. It ends with, to me, one of the great sight gags in the history of the show. Yes, which absolutely. Which is Trapper's suit, which is, one of the, like, to me, one of the great props all in MASH's history. But, I mean, this is such a great balance of dark and light because, of course, Colonel Flagg, and this is Colonel Flagg's uh, third appearance on the show at this point. But he's really kind of turned uh, from because, of course, he was in the second season show, um, Deal Me Out, where he is, you know, he's 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 a kind of a, a tight ass, but he's not that bad. He's playing cards with the guys. And then he's in a smattering of intelligence where he's a lot more rigid, but he's still cartoony here. He's straight up menacing. Oh, I mean, he, goes he is full evil. He is an absolute yeah. supervillain by the time we we see him now. Yeah, Edward Edward Winter. They he really knocked that part uh, out of the park, and I think that's why they kept bringing him back. And the fact that he was able to be so heartless uh, and so just like, yeah, he's so, he's so blithely in admitting, yeah, I'm going to shoot this guy uh, once I get the chance. And you're like, boy, this is, and he feels no compunction about. Or shame about what he's doing, even though Hawkeye and Trapper are, of course, horribly disgusted by it. I'm always surprised when I see the first two episodes that he's in and how funny as a character he is. Because to me, he haunts my nightmares from this very <laughs> episode. Like, yeah. it, it's always surprising to me revisiting previous episodes that, oh, I found him funny once. That's shocking. <laughs> right, right. And he seems, when you when you first see him, uh, if maybe you don't are familiar with kind of the, like, you're young. I don't know about you, but when I was first saw him, I thought, well, he's kind of cartoony. Well, I see a lot of people kind of nowadays that are kind of like Colonel Flack. Yeah, so absolutely. it's like, unfortunately, unfortunately, MASH is kind of right, right there with these kinds of people that are just like using uh, horrible racial epithets and just regarding the enemy as less than human, which of course is a great way to keep them your enemy because you don't have to regard them as human. But Edward Winter was really able to balance that quite well. And he has that marvelous squint you know with this, this kind of weird john wayne kind of 
way that he walks and talks. And again, I, as I was saying, like you have no idea that that's the 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 setup for this episode because it opens up with with uh, Frank and Hot Lips with the sort of comical uh, formation, and and of course Frank is a complete clown, and he talks about you know if uh, there's uh, there's suggestions, uh, you could just share them with me or my adjutant Major Houlihan, and talking to her is like talking to me because we are intimate with each other at all times. And he just, you know, he's no idea what he's saying. And he, you, you know that Frank uh, so desperately wants to be like kind of like a military man, like a real military man. I mean, he's got these guys in formation with their rifles. I don't even know where they would find 10 rifles on, at the 477th anyway. <laughs> And what would they I, – I just don't understand what they would need them for or that exact formation forever. Yeah, it's, it's complete complete nonsense. And then, that, as I mentioned, that leads to Frank insists that Hawkeye is officer of the day. It's sort of funny. That's The officer of the day thing is something we didn't see a lot of in later seasons. They kind of dropped that, that the characters actually had to go through that. I, I mean you would think that the doctors have enough to do. Yeah, you would that think they don't that need after to do this 14-hour day that he had, as Trapper mentions, you would think that that would be like, oh, yeah, okay, definitely. He should take a nap. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, we're going to give him a whole day's worth of duties to do, which is ridiculous. Hawkeye has this great speech about uh, that he has this dream that he was walking on the beach with his mother and there was a bleached out white burns. It's white belly shining in the sun. Which is... <laughs> <laughs> and he's, mommy, can I touch it? He's, be careful, son. The dullness rubs off. <laughs> He is – Alan Alda has a lot of great lines in this one. Yes, his lines are so brilliant throughout this whole episode. They really are. Yeah, and that leads to one of the great uh, moments in all of MASH, which is something that's actually become a meme where Hawkeye flat out refuses to carry a gun in the most delightful, sing-songy way possible. And he gets into the pieces. When I got into this war, I had a very, very clear understanding with the Pentagon – no guns. And I love Frank's move. And he, then he does the whole, I'll carry your books. I'll carry a torch. I'll carry a tune. I'll carry on, carry over, carry forward, carry Grant, cash and carry, carry back to old Virginia. I'll even Harry carry if you show me how, but I will not carry a gun. And I've said this in previous episodes. In fact, I mentioned it in the Deal Me Out episode where when I was a kid, I wanted to be like Hawkeye. You know, I, I BJ was always my favorite character, but I wanted to be like Hawkeye and be Hawkeye's complete anti-gun stance was very influential on me Same. as a I child. I absolutely relate to that. Yeah, and, and, and the fact that he was so kind of clever about it and sarcastic on top of it, and I just love that he is just as firm as can be. I'm not carrying a gun. That's the end of this discussion. And it, it's, I love that this thing has gone on to become kind of a meme. and you, you see it all over the place. And I almost wonder, you know, like a lot of memes that get shared, you wonder if some people even know what it's from. Like, they don't even know who this guy is. Right. Like, is, that, is that the guy from West Wing? Who's the, you know, or the guy from 30 Rock? Who is that guy, you know? No, and I, I really, the thing that I love so much about that speech in particular is that it's concise and it's clear and direct, but he makes sure to still be funny and soften his point just a little bit with mm -hmm. humor. And I feel like that's a lesson that I really took away from that episode growing up. It was that you can be firm and direct, but you don't have to be unpleasant always while you're doing it. And I really, really liked that and wanted to carry that with me. Yes, very much. So. You can always, you can, 
sometimes make a really a, a better point by making it funny and not being quite so in your face. It's more it's you know it's more charming in a lot of ways, and that Hawkeye definitely does that here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So and I listen. So immediately, of course, Hawkeye gets bogged down with all the the the, the duties of being officer of the day. He talks to the guards played by Roy Goldman and Dennis Troy, and they talks about he's like, uh, what's the password? And he says Betty Boop, and he refuses to change it because he says it's an unpretentious little password, but it's got sex. Which is <laughs> <laughs> so he just again not taking any of it seriously, and I love that his first duty uh, once he get in Henry's office is to go take a take a nap because right under the couch it takes a nap. Which so I still I, think I, he earned that nap. <laughs> He did. I mean, I work an eight-hour day and I'm exhausted. I can't imagine doing 14 hours of surgery for Pete's sake. So uh, it's it's after this point that we meet the first of many Kim Lux, uh, which are <laughs> a, a South Korean local, and it's people who, who need medical attention. And the first Kim Luck uh, is played by an actor named Tad Harino. He has a lot of credits. He was in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, Surf Ninjas, Red Sonja, Tour of Duty, one of my favorite shows. He played a character called Squeaky in a movie called Dimension 6, which has one of the great posters of all time. You go check it out on IMDb. He passed away in 2002, and he will be the first of, I think, three Kim Lux that comes in, and uh, and he has the speech where he says he, he thanks uh, G.I. Joe, and Hawkeye says, I'll tell him he stopped by. And so I, I, I love that whole sentiment that the 477 provides free medical care for the locals. Like, that's a very charming little detail. It is very nice, and I also like that they follow the rule of three with it for, for the yeah. comedy. You know, it kind of builds right. up each time, and then it, it gets funnier by the end of how right. many of them came in that day. Right. There's always that rule of comedy. Why don't you explain that rule of comedy for people who don't know the rule of three? So the rule of three is that if you're going to repeat something for effect in order to make it funnier and funnier, you have to stop at the third one because I can't remember exactly why you have to stop there, but it stops being funny after the third time. Right, right. They said one one is the joke, two is the runner. You're establishing that this is a runner, and then the third one is the one that, that clamps it. You're like, okay, this is it, and then you got to stop at that point. So, yes, yeah, that's exactly. the idea there. And then that's right after that is when Flag shows up, and I I love Flags as he calls him uh, Captain Perkins, yeah. and he says, and he says Pierce. He says Pierce, right? No, no, no Perkins. Like he's just he's just screwing <laughs> with he's screwing with uh, with Flag right at the very beginning. He talks about that. He said he put two into him, and Hawkeye says, "Of course, how could you resist?" And then they, they that's again that said, patch him up the fast dock so we could take him down to Seoul and shoot him. And that is the 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 the, the second act here at this point, except for the again the the, the rule of threes. We go the ongoing bit of. Uh, uh, Trapper and his tailor, uh, who is making Trapper a suit, and of course the tailor's sons. Uh, neither one is credited, by the way, even though they have lines in this show. They don't get credit on IMDb, which is very strange to me. And the whole bit there is that the sons are just stealing the 477 blind. They are just dropping stuff into their sleeves left and right, which I love. It's yes. a great, again, another great running gag. Well, and wasn't that prior to, there There was a time when children didn't receive credits as often, and I wonder if that had something to do with it. I guess so. It seems unfair that if you got a line in the show, you should get a credit, for Agreed. Pete's sakes. I mean, you know, you actually did act a little bit by, I love that they, they walk around 
everyone with their sleeves up in the air because, of course, everything's going to drop out. <laughs> uh, the the tailor is played by an actor named Jerry Fujikawa. I've mentioned him before because he's, he's done several episodes of MASH. He always is playing a different character. Uh, he was in the episode Deal Me Out. He's Whiplash Wang. He's the one who gets hit by supposedly by Radar and his Jeep. He was in the Chosen People episode. He was in, other, he was in some great movies. He was in Chinatown. Farewell, my lovely. The cat from outer space with McLean Stevenson and Harry Morgan. <laughs> plus the unfortunately named the extraordinary seaman with Alan Alda, which I covered uh, a couple of years ago as what one of our bonus episodes. <laughs> what a wretched name that is! What a The only reason I covered it was because Alan Alda was in it, and it had that ghastly title, <laughs> <laughs> name of a movie. Uh, so then, then we again another running boy. This show is all threes, really. Now that you've mentioned it, I'm thinking about it because now we see that we took we're, we get in the uh, the bit where Klinger is trying to go AWOL and the and, and the first uh, and dressed as a nun. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so and I love how mad that Hawkeye is. He says, "He says, what are you trying to do to me, Klinger?" Then he says, "You know, while officer of the day, uh, Captain Pierce let a hairy nun desert. Well, how would you like that on your record, Raider <laughs> Klinger?" I love that. I love I love that he's just trying to talk to him sort of man to man. Like, look, you can't. You just can't do this to me. And it's, it's and it's not that he minds that he's he's trying to get out ever. He only minds because it would personally be bad for him that day. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I love that's a that's a really that's a really great bit. And he runs into the kids again, and then him, of course, him and Trapper talk to uh, they talk to Flag, and they find out what's going to happen there. We do run. He runs into a second Kim Luck, played by this time Richard Lee Sung, and Richard Lee Sung is a famous face for anyone who's watched mash he appeared in 11 episodes of the show playing 11 different characters uh <laughs> uh when he when he plays kim luck he has the great line where where hawkeye says can you verify that you're kim luck and he says this is me <laughs> he's well i wouldn't lie about that he has credits in shows like trapper john md fantasy island the incredible hulk he was in the 1973 musical version of lost horizon he appeared on the show after mash playing yet another character his final credit was in a movie called genghis khan story of a lifetime which is kind of an understatement really yes. i would say yeah <laughs> Yeah, he, Genghis Khan, yeah, kind of an amazing story, I will say that. So, uh, And then he said it's it's the end of Act 1 that kicks the story into gear where we find out that Flag wants these two guys to patch up the soldier just to kill him. And what that's the beginning of Act 2 where, uh, you know, the Hawkeye and Trapper are going to have to figure out what to do about this. Now, of course, Frank is all for this. You know, Frank is all – and he flat out orders them to sign. And this, this really – this whole run – of Frank ordering Hawkeye to sign the papers is got some of uh, the greatest Groucho Marxian lines from Hawkeye ever delivered. Uh, and I love that he just flat out refuses to take any of this seriously, which I just love. I love the idea that, you know, the whole reason this military outfit even works is because everyone is agreeing to the idea that if you're a major or you're a colonel, you could tell the captains what to do. But I love that even though Frank is in charge, Hawkeye just flat out refuses to do it. I just, that, as a, as a kid, that appeals to me because I never could get away with that level of irreverence. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I definitely formed a a lot of my personality based off of that alone. <laughs> yeah. He just is just like, nope, forget it. I mean, and I also love, you know, I've mentioned in previous episodes about how Trapper definitely got shunted off to the sidelines in favor of Hawkeye. And that was certainly one of the things that led Wayne Rogers to wanting to leave the show. But I really love that the minute Trapper gets involved in this case, they're both in it on, they're both in it together. Absolutely. Uh, I love when he, they walk off to the side and, and Hawkeye says, you know, move yourself, put somebody on the rack. 
And then, then and Trapper says, we are not going to let him take this 16-year-old kid down to Seoul and put, you know, and basically shoot him. And they're both like, yeah. And Hawkeye's like, yeah, we agree. I love that Trapper and Hawkeye are at the same level. I love that, that Trapper gets roped into this and he just doesn't get shunted off to the side. Because, of course, just as irreverent as Hawkeye is. And so I love that they roped him into the storyline because it, it, it serves the character well. I'm glad that it's both of them, not just Hawkeye, giving Flag what for in this story. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do really like, I've always liked how um, Hawkeye always has somebody who's on his side morally. We don't have to just watch him. It's just him against the world. There is usually someone by his side, whether it's Trapper, BJ, one of the colonels. There's somebody who's like, no, I understand and I agree with you. This is wrong. Yeah, I love that. I love that, they, that they're in simpatico with this storyline. And now there is a brief diversion where we find out that Radar's teddy bear has been stolen by, of course, one of the kids. We find out in a, in a little piece of, uh, of backstory that would never be followed up that uh, Radar got his teddy bear from his brother, uh, which is a brother that we would never hear of again because later on when Radar gets shipped home, we find out that he is the only son uh, of, the, of his mother, and that's why he has to go take care of the family farm. So the brother is something that they threw in, and then just the, the continuity cops over at Match just completely forgot about it. Right. They, just, <laughs> they forgot that the brother ever existed. Which, how so, could they, when he always has that teddy bear? I feel like that would be a direct reminder. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, later on in season, I think it's four, there's a line where Radar is complimenting Hawkeye and Trapper, and he says, boy, if, I had, if my brother had lived, he would have been like one of you guys. And so we're like, well, okay, he had a brother that died maybe as a child, which is like an incredibly sad detail. But I mean, yeah, they seem to just forget that we gave, you know, they gave him a brother at some <laughs> point. He's in the same universe as Hawkeye's sister and mother, yes, uh, who exactly. were still alive at some point and then and then never again. Now, later on, uh, we get the uh, Hawkeye decides to put the two kids to put sort of the thumbscrews to them. He even does the Nazi voice where he's like, you're being very foolish. You have ways of making you talk. And then. All that leads up to the scene in the mess tent where Hawkeye just insults Frank and Hot Lips left and right. And this features some of my favorite lines. There's the line about, I found them double parked in an erogenous zone, which is, <laughs> I love that. I love that he just insults them through the whole time. And just the whole bit of where he just completely refuses to listen to Frank. And I love that. I love, and I love how flustered. Frank and Margaret are at this because they can't believe that somebody would do that to them. They're like, you can't disobey them. And they're just like, yeah, well, we are. I just love it. I know. And they, do, they don't even try to come up with a recourse or a reason why they would ha- he should have to listen to them. They just mm-hmm. get upset and then drop it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's marvelous. They're just they just cannot believe it. And it they'd feature some great lines that I think feel like ad libs. I'll get to one of those when I get to my favorite line part of the show. Uh, but later on, uh, later on in the scene where uh, they start arguing about, you know, well, who can release the patient? Who can, you know, he says he would die between here and Seoul. You know, that would be no for, for, no fun for you. And Flag says, I'll take that chance. And Trapper's a guess. Oh, he'll take that chance. And as Hawkeye and Trapper and Frank and Holly squabble, uh, Flag gets sick of it and gets his gun out and starts cocking it lovingly. Like rubbing the shaft of the gun, which is really creepy. It was, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, you know, I mean, we all, guns are phallic symbols for way too many people, and they're not even making it subtle here. I mean, the way he's subtly stroking it. But I wanted to ask if you noticed this. Uh, in that scene, uh, when, when Flag is going on and on about, you know, he, he's mine, and he's got that, when they cut 
to Frank and Margaret watching this, the look on Margaret's face, she looks, I hate to say it, almost orgasmic. Yeah. It is creepy. Yeah. (laughs) They often play off of how um, attracted to power she is. Yes. But that is one of the most bold times that they do it for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, and, and I mentioned this uh, actually directly to Loretta Sweat when she was on the show last season, where I was admiring how much business she sort of did off to the sidelines, where the, the focus of the scene was not her, but she's in the scene. And, Mar- you, and you've, you know, once you watch this show a thousand times, you start looking at other things because you already are familiar with the main action. And then I started noticing, wow, Margaret is reacting in a way. And the look on her face, she is so admiring of Colonel Flagg and his demonstration of, of basically threatening Hawkeye, saying, I'm going to shoot you unless you release it. And she looks so admiring of him. It is really, it's it's sort of simultaneously one of Margaret's great moments, but also one of her worst because you're like, boy, this is, she is, she's messed up in the head. This yeah, it's really definitely pretty one of the best moments acting-wise for Loretta Swit, yeah. but it's definitely yeah. one of the scariest moments for Margaret as a character. <laughs> Yeah, it really is. Good good on Loretta Swit for, for doing that because it's – oh, boy. And Frank doesn't notice it because he's standing behind her. I mean he doesn't notice it. He looks he looks almost a little nervous because, of course, he's he's not that kind of guy. And so he's probably a little scared by that kind of like masculine energy. He, he wants to have it, but he doesn't. Uh, and then, of course, Hawkeye seemingly gives in and says, oh, you got your body flag. It's your war, not mine. And, of course, you're like, well, wait a minute. They're just giving in. And, of course, that leads to the switcheroo where – we see the, the the stretcher being lined in, as, and we find out that it's Klinger, and Flag is too stupid to even pay attention to what body they're 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 rolling in. I don't know about you. Were you were you ever worried what might happen to Klinger once Flag discovered that that he didn't have his prisoner? Like they're kind of like maybe putting Klinger in harm's way a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's funny and everything, but definitely this most recent rewatch, I was like. Well, you know, he did already brandish a gun um, in the most gross way possible. Do you yep. really think Klinger is safe? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess I'm hoping that maybe there's somebody else in the ambulance, like an ambulance driver, and so therefore, <laughs> like, I mean, like, like Flag can't straight up just murder somebody. But I still, I mean, it's it's a little gutsy of Klinger to do it. Of course, not only is Klinger going, but he's dressed in like one of his dresses because he drops his purse, and that's the reveal. So I love that he's he's kind of ready for a night in the town in Tokyo even though he's on this secret mission it's really great so it's a great way to end the grand to end the plot because of course you know they got one over on flag which is the way it needs to be so and then the the button on the episode is Hawkeye reciting the events of the day to radar and he talks about that they recovered the uh the, the teddy bear and the North Korean prisoners being turned over to military intelligence as soon as we can find somebody with military intelligence uh, he talks about the Kim Lux, a new Kim Luck record that he hopes will stand for a long time. And then it ends with, as I said, one of the great sight gags of all time where Trapper says, you guys want to see the pinstripe suit of all time. And he comes in wearing this wonderfully wide lapel suit, except the stripes are going horizontally. And Alan Alda and Gary Berghoff laugh so uncontrollably <laughs> that you almost think they didn't know that's what they were going to see. Now, that's impossible because the show has no ending if that's not the gag. But, man, their reaction is so genuine and it's fantastic. And I I have said this in previous episodes. I would love to know if some of these MASH props still exist somewhere in some old vault. I hope somebody in the MASH family still has this 
this pinstripe suit because it's glorious. It belongs in like a glass display case proudly <laughs> in someone's foyer. It is just so perfect. It's wonderful. It's just like what, like just the idea that the tailor went that like how long did it take him to make a pinstripe suit that goes the wrong way? It's and I love the trapper's proud of it too. He's kind of like showing it off, like he's doing like a catalog modeling. He's like, hey, what you know? And he's got his cigar. It's a wonderfully comedic button on a very heavy episode. Yes, because the tones, the, the tone shifts in this episode are just remarkable. You go from zero to 60 very, very quickly. Um, and to, to close on something so majestic as that suit really does bring you back into a, a much happier place by the time it's over. It does. I love that. That suit is just, it's just fantastic. It's just really wonderful. And so it's, you know, good on Lawrence Marks and Larry Gelbar. These guys cranked out a bunch of fantastic episodes and they were just, to me, burning on all thrusters, uh, during season three. Cause every episode to me is just really, really good. And this one, again, it, it creates, it has a wonderful moral dilemma that can only be seen in a show with this kind of setting. Uh, it, it uses Colonel Flagg in a new way, which is great because he's now, he's, I mean, they, they realized that between Sidney Friedman and Colonel Flagg, they had these kind of bipolar side characters that you could bring in every so often and throw into the unit. And it would be, you know, and of course they would later on square off in a season four episode. So it's Mash made great use of these guest actors. So it's, it's just a masterpiece of an episode. So uh, I need to ask you, Captain, uh, do you have a particular favorite line, favorite joke from this episode? So I will I, I will state too. I think the obvious one here is the uh, speech about carrying a gun. That is, mm-hmm. uh, it's just a remarkable speech. It's hilarious and it has a point and, and I do just think it's wonderful. Um, so that would be my obvious number one. And then I would say my second choice, the runner up is uh, when Hawkeye makes the joke um, where, about how he's inspecting his eyelids instead mm-hmm. of sleeping. And I just think, <laughs> thought that was the funniest thing I had ever heard when I was a child. <laughs> I'm not sleeping. I'm respecting the insides of my eyelids. Yes, exactly. I just think that is so brilliant. My favorite line is when uh when when frank and margaret accost them in the mess tent and margaret goes on and on about basically just kind of reciting what we already know about the plot about you know you have to give him his prisoner and hawkeye just pauses for one moment turns conspiratorially to trapper and then just says meanwhile aunt martha having tank a tramp in the woods is lying in a ditch at the edge of town <laughs> it's just this total non sequitur that means nothing and i again i always think these things are ad-libs, and I know they're not because Larry Gilbert said the show was not ad-libbed. It was written, but the reaction that Wayne Rogers has, he starts laughing, and then the camera cuts away, yes. which makes me think that it was maybe Wayne Rogers didn't know the line or didn't know exactly what Alan Alda was going to say, but I love how much of a non-sequitur that is. I mean, it just mean, that line means nothing. It's just <laughs> gibberish, but I love that Hawkeye is, by using this line, he is saying to Margaret, I'm not even listening to what you're saying right like, absolutely I do, I do not care what you're saying and now i'm just going to say something completely this complete gibberish i absolutely like i mean it sounds like something from like an old like a, like a soap opera oh absolutely but i just i love that it just makes no 
sense at all. I love it. It's my, it makes me laugh every single time. And Wayne Rogers has such an infectious grin on his face. Every time I see him laugh, it just makes me laugh too. So that is my favorite line in the episode. He does really have a way of just lighting up completely like a Christmas tree when he's laughing. Like he, he is just a spectacle in and of himself. I love watching those two guys make each other laugh. It's just great. This, this sort of, these two cool conspirators in the middle of this dark and heavy plot. It's just a great, great episode. Officer of the day. It's really one of their best. So, so Captain uh, Captain Universe. Uh, I love that name, by the way. <laughs> thank Captain you. Universe. Uh, thank you so much for for doing this. I really appreciate. It. As I said, I love talking to people of all different sort of ages and backgrounds of how they discovered me. So, I'm really uh, happy that you did the show with me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm just glad that there's people out there making this content because Mash is one of the best shows that's ever been made, and it needs to be talked about still. Well, thank you very much. So, uh, where can people find you on the internet? Um, they can find me on um, Twitter at Sandwich or Captain Universe. So I do a podcast with a, a really wonderful co-host. It's uh, called Sympathetic Monsters. It's a comedy feminist podcast. We do current events, past events, and then pop culture as well. And, uh, it's a really good time. Very cool. That's a great title, by the way. Oh, <laughs> Sympathetic you. Monsters. Marvelous. So, yeah, thank you so much for doing the show. I really appreciate it. Of course, if you want to listen to back episodes of the show, you can go to our website, firewaterpod.com. Podcast.com, and there you can leave comments about this or any other episode of MASHCast. We're also on Spotify, Stitcher, and on Apple Podcasts. And we're always talking MASH over on Twitter, which is at MASH477Cast. And finally, you can support the Fine Water Podcast Network over on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And there, for uh, you're going to lock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Adam Sanders, Nicholas Prom, Russell Burbage, and Suzanne Holland for their support of MASHCast. So that is going to do it for this episode. We will be back next week. But until then, that is all. Good, I like like I'm listening. He went and got him, Hawk. I bet he found him double parked in an erogenous zone. <laughs>